Hi, I'm Lex Luger, and this is my family. I'd like to meet my wife, Peggy. Hi. My son, Brian. Hi. And my daughter, Lauren. Thank you, honey. Here in America, Thanksgiving is a traditional family holiday. And even though Thanksgiving is a primarily a time to give thanks, it is also a time for a family like ours to be together. So from my family to your family, all together now, have, have a, a happy, happy Thanksgiving. and bright stars through the parallel spite all the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming and the rockets red glare the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still We get it, boys. It's a moment I never thought he'd see. Adam Bomb has got some cunt in the abdominal stretch. <laughs> and then he reaches out and Rick Martel takes his hand and they do the assisted <laughs> abdominal stretch spot. Oh, my word. If I'd have been drinking tea, I would have spat it out with joy. Did you notice that it wasn't just Adam Bomb to Rick Martel? It was also Harvey Whipperman on the outside holding Martel's oh, arm. I did not notice that. It was a that. triple. That it is, was a triple. That's, if they got someone in the front row of the crowd to do it, and then they got <laughs> everyone through the uh, thing to do it, that would have been fantastic. Oh, oh, man, expect that spot to turn up somewhere in wrestling in the next six months. Because I'm yeah. telling you, that is fucking genius. That is absolutely yeah. genius. Yeah. The referee has to keep on going and breaking everyone. He goes and finds the end and like, kicks that person's arm. And he kicks that person. Kicks that person. And he has to do it like 300 times until he, until he breaks his own leg because he's too, done too much kick. Tears his hammy. Tell you, that's going to be, you're going to see that somewhere. Hey! 
Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and this week we take in the final part of our Survivor Series trilogy with an in-depth review of the 1993 edition of the second longest existing pay-per-view event. Joining me for the pod is old man Sam Carey, whose passion for Val Venus is only matched by his paranoia that people might be waiting outside his apartment building to catch a glimpse of him while he's relaxing around his home. Old man, how are you? I'm doing all right, mate. I've just finished my, because obviously this is the last of our Survivor Series triple header, I've just finished my tofurkey roast dinner. <laughs> I think some people were outside the flat, but I was farting up such a storm after eating that that they quickly dispersed. Mm. What do you think of tofurkey? Uh, disgusting. Yeah, it's not good. To be honest, no, I instantly regret it. Like what I imagine eating a shoe is like. Because <laughs> let's be honest, turkey doesn't have an enormous amount of flavour anyway. Mm. So you're trying to make something out of something that has no flavour, which is the tofu, into something that has very little flavour. What's the point? If they could replicate the taste of the dark meat, the turkey, then they'd be on something mm. gold. I, if I was a vegetarian, which I'm not, I would just sack off, off all that together and have a nut roast. Nut roasts are lovely. They can be really bad sometimes. It really depends. I have had okay. some really nice ones, but I've also had some really yeah. horrible. I've had, I've had one and it was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that voice that you're hearing is Tom Smith, whose time when he's not on this podcast is split in equal measure between looking after his daughter Shinsuke Nakamura and making strange and suspicious noises outside old man's apartment building late at night. Tom, welcome. To, to be honest, it wasn't a surprise that the uh, that fart that he did after that gross tofurkey dispersed the crowd because I can remember when we were in Madrid, the three of us and a friend oh, of the street, Johnny went to uh, went to Madrid. I went for a nap one afternoon, feeling a bit feeling a bit worse for wear, I think, and I uh, walked into the uh, walked into the living room where you guys were hanging out watching some five side football, I believe, and there was the most horrendous smell in there. <laughs> it turns out old man had farted about an hour ago. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and that apartment, from what I gather now, has been condemned. It has. Ground, yeah. z- ground zero for COVID yeah. was that fight. It all started from there. Oh, it was you, old man, you prick. Oh. Oh, well, to be honest, mate, better out than in, as <laughs> as Helen Pace said all those years ago. I think the world would beg to differ, quite frankly, after the last eighteen months we've had. <laughs> Some people. I don't know, I can't think of how to finish that. Some people are cunts, how about that? <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of a witty thing to say, but it just brain deserted me. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a life lesson in that. If you can't think of something witty to say, just call everyone cunts, and that'll cover yeah. it. Yeah. That's pretty much, that is pretty much how we deal with things on this show. Um, if today is your first time listening to us, or you are a seasoned veteran of the show, we are very pleased to have you along. If you fancy going deeper down the rabbit hole, then please subscribe on whatever podcasting platform that you are listening to us on, if indeed you haven't already done so. And subscribe to our social media channels. We can be found at UK on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So, Survivor Series 1993, one year before our episode that we covered two uh, weeks ago, so obviously Survivor Series 94, uh, and another one that I had on VHS, another one I have watched about a trillion times. But we won't start with my expectations before this time, like we did last time. Why don't we start with you, old man, since you're looking so fearful? So, I will have watched this. So, I had uh, my... Dearly departed Nan had a neighbour who had a bit of the old Sky TV, lovely old job, way back, like almost before it was a thing. And uh, he used to record them for his son. So I watched this not long after it was on. 
And I have not watched it since because I found Lex Luger intensely annoying, even as a child. So I was looking forward to this. I gotta be honest, I was looking forward to the memories that I will have had. Well, the memories that I probably had that I couldn't remember. But it took me back to a nice time. It's funny you should mention memories because there are three moments on this show that are new memories for me because they're not on the VHS. So that's a bit of something to look forward to. Beautiful. Tommy, your your expectations. Again, you had this on VHS, therefore I would have watched it an awful lot as well. So I've definitely seen this multiple occasions. I was looking forward to it because I do like a Survivor Series, and I like a Survivor Series up to this point generally, um, because there's lots of Survivor Series matches on them. There was one match that I completely forgot existed. There's five matches on the on the card, and four of them I can remember extremely well. So one of them was an absolute lovely little surprise for me, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I don't know if that's what we're referring to, Tinky. Did this? Did the VHS have all five matches on it? It did. Yeah, it did. so it did. Uh, in which case, we're obviously not on the same page as that. But either way, I was looking forward to this, and I was looking forward <laughs> to a bit, a bit, a big bit of crush. If I'm being honest. <laughs> I had the same sort of thought about this as I did going into Survivor Series '94, which was I wasn't convinced this was going to be a particularly good show. I, my memory of it is a little bit less vivid than Survivor Series 94, but I have definitely watched it a number of times to the point where there are bits of commentary that I was anticipating, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, my, my kind of overall impression was this is going to be similar in quality to that Survivor Series 94. Saying that, obviously, I think actually when we watched Survivor Series 94, my viewing of it that time was a little bit, even a bit less than I thought it was going to be. Well, obviously, we had the bonus that there's no way in hell this was going to be as bad as Survivor Series 2010. <laughs> like, they, they they could have had four steaming piles of turd in the rain and just literally turds for three hours and it would have been better, I think. I think, I think at one point during the show, they actually do have four steaming piles of turd in the ring. <laughs> oh! <laughs> we'll um, get there. We'll get there. Do you know what? Until you mentioned it, old man, I had completely forgotten that we did Survivor Series 2010. Last <laughs> episode. Yeah, I completely forgot. I thought we were just going from Survivor Series 94 to 93. I think <laughs> I blocked it out because it was so shit. And must admit, when, when this started off and it starts how it starts, I was like, hello, we're in for a fucking year. Funnily enough, you, you may have been able to scrub it from your mind but i have literally just yesterday finished editing the episode Aww. for survivor series 2010 so i've relived it a second time um you'll be pleased to know <laughs> it's my performance as appalling as i thought it is yeah. oh, to be honest there are times when you don't even sound like you're on the show <laughs> <laughs> getting back to this show i know uh, tommy's fond of uh mentioning the pi- the pictures that they have on the wwe network for the pay-per-views oh. this one is fan-fucking-tastic. The turkey, Lex Luger stood with little knives crossed to tankers on there. I was like, ah, oh, that is burned into my memory. So I did. I do wonder if I had this on video. And I, I, when I saw that, I was like, maybe I have watched this a handful, maybe a plethora of times. And my memory is just, basically the memory of my youth is watching The Lost Boys. That's it. And that's the film, not just Lost Boys. <laughs> although <laughs> don't don't finish that sentence yeah. um, <laughs> I, lo- I love that it looks like Tatanka is running towards the turkey and the fact that the turkey is dressed like Yokozuna it is 
you know what? I had that VHS from the age of what well, I must be about 10, 11. I never noticed that. <laughs> I never noticed <laughs> To be honest, I've just noticed it because I'm looking at it now. And it's got a little <laughs> Japanese flag in it. Maybe it's some kind of katsu turkey. We start the show with one of the first things that was not on the VHS, which is Lex Luger and his family providing a Thanksgiving message to us all. Uh, head of the show as i said uh, this is not on the vhs goodness knows why they cut it because it's absolute gold <laughs> the the um the i remember i think i've listened to the it's either uh, it was either on the lex luger episode or sorry there's 93 episodes of um something to wrestle with bruce pritchard and he said that that, that segment goes on for about 45 seconds mm. apparently mm. apparently it took about seven hours to film because Lex Luger was so awful, and apparently he got his his kids. We're just being kids, you know, running around in between take stuff, and he was fuming at them apparently. And if you see, if you see, like in between when he's not talking or reacting to something, he's got this stone cold like look of a killer in his eyes. He looks so fucked off, and his wife is not charismatic at all. She's so much more charismatic than Lex Luger though. <laughs> They don't look like a very happy family. I got. Honest. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching it. I was like, he looks pissed off. He looks boiling because he's wearing that enormous jumper. Yeah, his, yeah. his, his kids are just kids. Like they're just sat there being a bit gormless, as you would be if your gormless mum and dad are talking to the camera. And his wife just looks like she wants to kill everyone in the room. Lovely Thanksgiving message from an angry couple. <laughs> So the next bit is another bit that wasn't on the VHS. This is two of your three. The guy, some guy, singing the national anthem yeah. imperfectly. I don't know who it was, but he wasn't very good. His hair is fantastic. It is like a block of something <laughs> shaped into hair. He's like a Lego man. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> a block of something shaped into hair. It looks, it looks like a, a Lego haircut but with more yes. volume. And I don't know why I thought of this specifically at this event, but it made me think of whenever you go to like a sporting event or if you go to a, uh, we, we've been to WrestleMania a couple of times, and they always say, please be upstanding and remove your hats for the national yeah. anthem. And I think to myself, why? why? Why do we have to remove our hats? Everyone wears hats in America and I've got shit hair underneath this hat. So I don't want to remove my hat. But I'm going to do it for the flag. I'm going to do it for old glory. It also feels a little bit weird because we kind of we kind of just stood there, you know, like there's lots of people around you with their hands on their hearts. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, it's obviously a cultural thing, but people in this country just are not as overtly patriotic as they are in America, quite frankly. And my wife works with a lot of Americans and she was they had this conversation where basically in this country, if you have a Union Jack um, outside your house, it makes you look like a bit of a BMP supporting racist. Mm. Whereas in America, it's very, very common for people to have the American flag outside the house. Oh, you speak for yourself, mate, but I'm, I'm stood there at WrestleMania 25 and I'm giving you the old, oh, say, can you see? <laughs> Loving it. And then you stop because <laughs> you don't know the rest of the words, do you? <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> uh, let's be honest. The greatest version of the national anthem is when Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. Fuck <laughs> He sings it as Enrico Palazzo in the first Naked Gun film because he also doesn't know the words. It's fantastic. I must say, that, that Liam Neeson, 
What a voice. Imagine if Leslie Nielsen was in Taken. <laughs> that would be a completely different film. He'd be like, I'll find you and then I'll kill you. And then he'd like fall out of a window or something like that. <laughs> so the next thing you'll be pleased to know is in the VHS. It's the obviously the intro to the show. And then the crowd goes getting very excited, which includes a man very happy with his cheap looking small intercontinental title belt replica. He's very, very happy with it. He's about 40 and he's absolutely yeah. Then we see that the commentary team is Vince McMahon and Bobby the Brain Heenan in what would turn out to be Bobby the Brain Heenan's final pay-per-view commentary appearance for the WWF until WrestleMania 17, obviously, when he commentated on the gimmick Battle Royal. I mean, that's a lovely old job in there, this duo. I'm like, oh, yeah, now we're talking, now we're talking. They're in Boston, lovely city. I'd highly recommend going because I've been there. Um, but the uh, the thing that I liked about it is, is uh, Vince, is, Vince is incredibly excited at this one. Even even by Vince McMahon levels, he's excited. And who wouldn't be with that music, that Survivor Series music <laughs> in the background? Saxophone, some weird offbeat drums, lovely stuff. Weasel shout from the crowd. And that's another thing I don't like about Boston, says, says Bobby Heenan. <laughs> Which I enjoyed. This is in the Boston Garden, which is uh, also one of the historically most significant uh, arenas in WWF's history. One of the major arenas on their loop of the circuit. This is a, this is going to be a lovely episode, a lovely nostalgia trip. Not like that dog shit we spoke about last week. And what I like about these old pay-per-views especially is that the arenas look different. Mm. Whereas now they all just look the same. They, they, they've got the same set. They obviously have the same kind of the same stage setting. They have all, you know, all this stuff and it all looks exactly the same. Whereas the Boston Garden feels different. MSG feels different. Like the Boston one in Chicago and the Toronto Skydome. And they all, the Rosemont Horizon, isn't it? Is, is that the one in Chicago? Anyway, I don't know. But they all felt slightly different. They all look slightly different. Whereas now they all just look the same. And it's a bit dispiriting, isn't it? Well, it's also a symptom of the arenas themselves, mm. I think. Whereas all the arenas now are just like Meccano sets that you just buy and you just put together and then you go, there you go, there's a nice arena, isn't it? So, well, it is a nice arena, but it's very tedious. It's like football stadiums, isn't it? Like the little bowl football stadiums that there was a little run of them where they're, if you go to them, they're all exactly the same. And yeah. it's like, where's the personality? I want some shit out stadium like the Memorial Stadium <laughs> in Bristol. That's what everyone wants, old man. All right, yeah, so don't, get, don't get jealous. Don't get jealous about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I mean, you're right, you're absolutely right, though. It was I think the the Boston Garden, the Madison Square Garden, and a couple of others were operated by the same people. So that's another reason why they were quite key on WWF's loop. Mm-hmm. They obviously had that contact there. But yeah, so it's an historic show. And actually, to your point, though, Tom, about them looking differently, look at the Survivor Series '94 arena compare it to this it's so different it's so yeah. different like the 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 one in Spider series 94 is quite dark and a lot more a lot more kind of i don't know like strange whereas this one is really bright and really mm. open it's as if there's the, the, all the lights are on all the way through it's quite quite strange so we also find out that um, gorilla monsoon and jim ross are doing commentary as well but on radio wwf just in just today in fact i saw someone tweet that they would love to have the radio wwf commentary available on the network as oh, an alternate commentary yeah and i would like that because i would probably watch five series 93 again just to listen to a different commentary because i've seen this show so many times that having different commentary would be yeah. such a weird mindfuck for me it'd be really interesting as well because obviously you'd imagine on the radio there could be that much more descriptive yeah, it'd be interesting to hear Jim Ross properly calling the action and hear, hear old Monsoon as well. 
how we'd ha- handle that. Um, interestingly, going back to the, the Boston Garden, this is the only pay-per-view that ever took place there. Hmm. That is interesting. It might have been because the Boston Garden was not going to be around for much longer. Maybe that's why they decided to do it. I don't know. Anyway, let's get on to the first match, shall we? The first match is between the one, two, three, good Marty Gennetti, Randy Savage and Razor Ramon against Adam Bomb, Diesel, IRS and Rick Martel. It's 27 minutes in length. Now, as we have had the last couple of weeks, not really sure how to repl- uh, how to approach the Survivor Series matches without going through each of the eliminations. So what I'll do is I'll just go straight to the end and then you guys can tell me what else you want to talk about. Um, the, the survivors at the end are two members of Team Razor. It's 1-2-3-Kid and Marty Jannetty. And the end comes when, first of all, 1-2-3-Kid pins Marto, Mar- Rick Martel with a sunset flip in the corner. And then Jannetty does exactly the same to Adam Bomb with one of his own. Thomas, your thoughts on the match? It's funny you bring up the big, uh, the big MJ man himself on Marty Jannetty. I did a little bit of digging around on this. He was then hired and then fired three times during this match. <laughs> <laughs> it's the longest he's ever been around, I think, actually in this match. This combined three hires, hirings and firings. Um, this this match is quite fun. I like that um, IRS comes down and uh, calls all of Boston tax cheats and uh, says they're lucky that they're not coming to their houses to audit them, which elicits a lovely, lovely bit of heat. Then the babyface team comes out. And again, Riggs Ramon, as I said on the Survivor Series 94 episode, coolest guy in the world. And then he says that Mr. Perfect isn't there, but he's replaced by Macho, and the pop from Macho is amazing. And to which Bobby, Bobby Heenan goes, I called it! <laughs> it's like, it's just <laughs> lovely. This, the opening kind of exchange between Rick Martel and Razor is, is great as well. Really, really good back and forth. Two very good wrestlers. And then Adam Bomb tags him. And Tinky, I think we need to have a I think we need to have a word with old man about this because <laughs> because I, I was thinking to this and I wrote a little list. I was like Val Venus, Mr. Wrestling 2, Ken Patera, Lutasaurus, Disco Inferno, Buff Bagwell and Rick Martel. I can see reasons for all of them being or not being, you know, high on old man. So Val Venus, we know, he's been a Val, Val Venus guy for a long time. So we're fine with yeah. that. Mr. Wrestling 2 seems like a nice old man. Ken Patera, absolutely gormless. And not very good in the ring, but quite entertaining because he's so awful. Lutasaurus, a giant luchador who's a dinosaur. Yeah. Again, I can get behind that. Disco Inferno takes his gimmick far too seriously. Entertaining. Loves it. Buff Backwell, the raspberry, you know, getting <laughs> so angry that he flexes. The heel turn, you know, the all, the heel turn against the multiple heel turns against Rick Steiner. You know, so yeah. Rick Martel, good. He's a very good, he's a good wrestler. And I can imagine if you were watching it around WWF, around 1992, 93, he was quite cool because of the arrogance and everything like that. Adam fucking bomb. <laughs> My God, like he is awful. And Actually, I can understand. Is he, you fucking see a, what he does to Razor Ramon early on in this match. He's dominating him, mate. He's got a, reason, a reasonably half decent look. And that's it. <laughs> he's <is> fucking <laughs> rubbish. Adam Bomb is absolutely shit. So I think we mean take it at some point. If this carries on, we're going to need to have some kind of intervention. Because oh, no, no, I'll no. be honest, man, I'm a little bit concerned for your sanity. Who was the last guy eliminated? <laughs> yeah? In this match, hey Tinky, who was it again? It was it was Adam Bomb. Adam Bomb. Still Best. still eliminated. Still eliminated. Yeah, that's because his bloody shit house teammates. Who, let's be honest, they aren't shit house too. When this fucking team comes out, IRS, Rick Martel, and Adam Bomb, I'm like fucking hell, boys. I'm in heaven. And then Diesel walks out with what can only be described as the most disgusting. I know we, you boys, took 
deep offence to Shawn Michaels' hair in 94. <laughs> Diesel's mullet is horrendous. I'm not sure it's the worst on the show, but it is disgusting. And he's still crap. Go like on, Tommy. That... Carry on. Now you've bloody murdered Adam Bomb. <laughs> i got to like the fact that Diesel keeps grabbing his wrist every, after every time he does a move. So every, <laughs> every time he does a move, he just grabs his wrist and just gives him a... Um, the, uh, the, there's a bit of a storyline in this and that the Hill team just can't get along. And the crowd are loving the dissension in the ranks of this team as well. And when Macho Man comes in and the hot tag for Macho, the crowd go bananas to quote Gorilla Monsoon and when he eliminates Diesel the first person to get eliminated I believe and um, Savage uh, hits him with the elbow which, he, which obviously pins Diesel but Diesel kicks out just at the three point and I was thinking to myself show Matty around some respect you fucking little scrot or your, your bloody big scrot you, you're a scrotum it's, it's an interesting one though this Diesel being eliminated first because there were and have been rumours that have circled around since this sort of period that he was going to be released by WWF at some point around this period. And they've basically put him in the rumble and it was kind of a last sort of look at him to see if he could ultimately make that connection with the crowd. And obviously they have him go in there, eliminates five or six people shown to be quite dominant. And actually the crowd at the rumble 94 uh, react to him in such a way that it convinced him to keep hold of him and keep him and keep him going. But at this point, and it kind of the reason I mention it here is because it kind of does seem to bear out by the fact that he's the first person eliminated and they don't really make much of him. And obviously he's sort of detached from Shawn Michaels. I mean, not not completely, but in terms of the show, they they've separated the two. Uh, it just it, it does speak to the idea that they weren't that high on him at this point. So I'm it's surprised. it's rubbish. That Royal Rumble '94 is crowned fault. It, it seems it. It does seem to be the case. Yeah, you can blame you can, you can blame the fucking attendees from Providence, Rhode, Rhode Island, which is where it was. Um, but yeah, the rest of the match, I'll be honest, I stopped taking notes at that point because I got distracted by my daughter. So the rest of it, I'm freestyling. But it was fun. I like the fact that uh, Crush comes down and he's the reason why uh, Macho Man uh, ends up uh, ends up getting eliminated, eliminated, which is why they go on to have their barnstorming match at WrestleMania 10, <laughs> which is uh, which is an absolutely lovely old job. And until one, two, three quid again, a quid, fucking hell, one, two, three kid again. We've discussed in the past about being underrated. He's bumping all over the shop for Diesel in this match as well. He's making Diesel not look like a million bucks because there's, I don't think anybody can. I don't even think Kurt Angle can make Kevin Nash look a million bucks. But he makes him look like a, a twenty pound note you found on the street. You know, you're like, oh, okay, that's nice. That's a nice bit of surprise. And obviously, uh, you know, big IRS is in it. What more can you want? What more can you want from a Survivor Series match than these lads? I don't know. Old man probably can find something though. Yeah. Well, I thought this was fan fucking tastic. I absolutely, I was giddy watching this. I must say, right up my alley. Lovely hill shenanigans. You've got uh, Vince saying that Razor has sustained some damage in the facial area, which I assume <laughs> is the face. And uh, when Crush comes down, sporting arguably the worst mullet on the card, it's him and Kevin Nash. Diesel, they're kind of faced off. I don't know. Bobby Heenan saying, where's Dot? Where's Dot? And Vince McMahon's like, what? He's like, Todd backwards for Todd Pettingale. It just doesn't make any sense. And I was like, what is going on here? And that's pretty much Bobby <laughs> Heenan through the whole thing. He's just having the time of his life. So we've got a big Iron Mike, IRS, is eliminated by Razor Ramon. 
who does the razor's edge, which is fair fucks to him, because that's a big old unit to get out of there. He makes a fantastic face, IRS, when he's in that uh, razor's edge and just about to be dropped. It's spectacular stuff. And then pretty much, uh, oh, Shawnee Waltman takes over. And just, just fucking amazing. He's getting lobbed around. His selling's incredible. His offense, considering he's so small, especially, and he looks so young at this point. His offense looks great. He's just fantastic. It's just electric. It's the, the crowd are into it. There's nothing, apart from Diesel and Crush's hair, that I didn't like about this. Just really, really enjoyed it. Even Marty Jannetty. How'd that happen? Did you also note that uh, Bobby Heenan said that it's uh, past the one to three kids' bedtime? Yeah. <laughs> nice little bit of commentary. So from my perspective, I've just I've got one question for you first before I kind of talk about my thoughts on the show. Um, have you ever cheated anybody? No. Try it. It's a ball. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Bobby Heenan says. Yeah, I, I thought this was good. I thought this was really good. Uh, I was really happy that after last week's, op- uh, not last week's, two weeks ago's opener, where we had similar teams, Rage of Ramona, one, two, three kid, plus Diesel, all in that opener from, from two weeks ago. This was not quite as good as that match could have been, but close to fulfilling the potential of that match. So we spoke about that opener as being something that, had it been allowed to play out, could have been an absolute classic. I wouldn't go as far to say this was a classic, but it was a really good match and did play out the full match in kind of a in a way that meant that there was no shortcuts. They just, you know, let the match play out really nicely. So I thought it was a really decent opener, contrary to what we saw in the Survivor Series 2010 with some some three nothing matches to set us off. This had obviously Razor Moan really over Intercontinental Champion, one, two, three kid who had been introduced to the audience that year really over they had razor ramon come out at the start and talk about as you said tom um ramon saying that perfecto had to tag he's such a perfect partner they had to tag out before the match but he says have i got a surprise for you this guy's got more machismo than me and then the one the only and then before he even says macho man yeah that starts just like that um <laughs> so class yeah. in it's pure it class <laughs> so i really did enjoy this and i and this at this point i was like okay this has already gone a step further than my expectations because mm. not that i thought this match was bad or anything but i just didn't particularly remember it as being very good but it but it but it was good it was a good match and and i was really relieved after the last at least two, yeah two weeks that i was finally able to put a new match on the recommended list uh, recommended matches list because for the last two weeks we've had slim pickings as far as I'm concerned especially last week my goodness it goes to show that there is merit to having these matches these these Survivor Series matches because I guarantee you those opening I'm thinking a bit about this just then like the opening three matches were very serviceable as as you said thinking last week chuck them in an, in an elimination match they've been much, and give them the same amount of time it'd been much better. And yeah. you can imagine if this started off with IRS versus Marty Jannetty and then, you know, Adam Bomb versus One Two Three Kid, then it would be a pretty grim opening to the pay-per-view, wouldn't it? Well, it also, I think it also, for me, really illustrates that give people really, really simple characters and people will get behind them. Like, Erdogan Scheister does his pre-match bit about taxes, as you, as you mentioned earlier on. That's all he does. That's his entire character. But people don't like him because he's a tax man. It's simple. Then we've got Razor Ramon gets on the mic before the match, as I just said, 
does his bit. He's great. His character is so clear. It's so obvious. It makes so much sense. It, you, you instantly know what, what he does, and that's it. One, two, three, kid is an underdog. That's illustrated immediately in the match. First time he's in the ring, Vince McMahon um, and Bobby Heenan are talking about the fact that he's the underdog. Randy Savage, massively over. Legend of the past, if you like. Really basic ideas of who these people are, we, but people know them. They feel familiar with them because it's not it's not overcomplicated. And those characters act and wrestle what's most important i think actually is not necessarily the things they say but the the way they wrestle actually plays into who they are as characters as well it's not as simple as just you know razor ramon does a funny accent he also wrestles like his character would it's just it's perfect for me but the, the other thing is as well is that they're elim- it's not just one team getting eliminated and facing insurmountable odds either it's even it's competitive all the way through as well so even though it kind of ends up in a, in a two-on-one situation it wouldn't surprise you if for some reason someone had a fucking brain fart and decided that adam bomb should beat these two it wouldn't be completely unbelievable that he would eliminate the one two three kid of marty Janetti. whereas if he was going up against razor or matching man at the end then you'd be like well they're obviously winning so this is quite quite well done quite well booked well i can tell you why you'd find it believable that adam bomb will win with this week's byron faxton of the week early byron uh-huh. faxton of the week this week there's no way i'm letting the bomb still go is there so in 2003 pwi ran their 500 of their lifetime, top 500 of their lifetime. Now, Tinky's always saying this is a kayfabe list, but I think this proves it isn't. <laughs> so, in this 500, Adam Bomb, who you besmirched horrendously, ranked 466th <laughs> out of 500, six places above the Titan that is Mark Henry, 15 places above, arguably... The best heart of all time, Bruce Hart. (laughs) But, and I think this is more a reflection of this man, 135 places below Val Venus. Byron Faxton of the Week. Magnificent. Magnificent one this week. Loved it. Old man shaking his head. Absolutely disgusted by what you've said earlier on today, Tom. Do you want to know the actual truth as well? I thought Adam Bomb was all right in this match. (laughs) <laughs> I think everyone's all right in this match, but I do know what Tom's talking about. There, the first, the opening sort of two, three minutes is really high paced, and then Adam Bomb tags in, and it legitimately does bring the pace down significantly. Well, that's because he's turning it into a technical masterclass. Of course, of course, I don't doubt it. You Philistine! So, I thought you knew your wrestling. <laughs> so next up, Todd Pettengale interviews Shawn Michaels backstage. He introduces him to footage of Ray Combs talking to the Hart brothers and Stu Hart. Brett says they don't care about the knights and he says the masks are coming off. Remember that, by the way. Um, He also says that Michaels will pay big time. Um, Then they go back to Michaels and he says that uh, the Hart's got nothing and he's got himself three knights. He tries to make this about the shared history between himself and Bret Hart from the previous year where they fought for the world championship at Survivor Series. Um, And that's because obviously this was originally scheduled to be Jerry Lawler and his knights against Mm. the Hearts. I wanted to confirm this in my mind. So I looked up why he wasn't there and Mm. it's absolutely disgusting. So I'm not going to repeat it. Um, Also, one of the knights was supposed to be Terry Funk, but he turned it down because his horse was sick, apparently. 
on. No. And then uh, apparently later on, when he came back to the WWF in the Chainsaw Charlie years, he no showed a pay per view. You know why? Because his horse was sick. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, it sounds like it was just like an ongoing excuse. Apparently, Vince was like, "How's your horse, Terry?" <laughs> and Terry Funk was like, "What? <laughs> what horse?" <laughs> Do you think the horse had knee fever? <laughs> Christ. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, um, Shawn Michaels is going to replace Jerry Lawler. And Michaels himself had been suspended prior to this. Um, Again, for real life things. I can't remember, actually, the reason Michaels was suspended, but he was suspended for something also that had happened in his personal life. So they were having a few problems with discipline at the Mm. time. In fairness to Jerry Lawler, so he was accused of raping a 15 year old girl. I don't know what the right terminology is for it so that I don't belittle or do down the accusation. But he was acquitted. I don't know if that's the right word because I don't know if it went to court. But he was cleared, I guess, is the is the best word I can give it at this point. So here's the here's the story from Wikipedia. The charges were dropped after the alleged victim confessed there was no sexual abuse that took place. And then that's it. Laura then returned to work for the World Wrestling Federation. But there's there's a weird thing about it in there where apparently like he was hanging out with them, allegedly, which makes you think, why is a 40 year old guy hanging out with teenage girls anyway? It's just, even, even if even if nothing did happen, that's still weird. Nah, it's a suspect behavior. Well, it's um yeah, best left in the past anyway. Also, Shawn Michaels was suspended for testing positive for roids. There you go. That would be it then. And that would have yeah. been right bang on around about the time of the steroid trial, wouldn't it? Or just before? Well, the steroid trial was in, I think, June and July of 94, maybe August 94. Yeah, exactly. So, so you'd have been like, fuck off, you dickhead. What are you doing? You're not helping me out here at all. Well, they, they implemented steroid or drug testing anyway at the time because they were looking to fend off those those charges. Before the next match, um, Ray Combs is our, is announced is shown as being the ring announcer. Ray Combs, the star of the Family Feud, which evidently is the American version of Family Fortunes over here. Where the fuck's um, Les Dennis? <laughs> you just imagine, had you? Les Dennis being Survivor Series '93. That would be phenomenal. Oh, and he does his world class Mavis from Coronation Street impression. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been absolute gold. So, yeah, he introduces the fact that there are a couple of the Hart family sisters and uh, Helen and some of the Hart brothers in the crowd. He then also does what might charitably be called a comedy routine prior to introducing the teams, where he says some stuff about Shawn Michaels' mother and Shawn Michaels' father, which I don't know what that's about. But anyway, he does. And then, yes, then the uh, the match, the second match takes place. It is the Hart family, Bret Hart, Bruce Hart, Keith Hart and Owen Hart with Stu Hart in their corner against Shawn Michaels and his knight, the Black Knight, the Blue Knight, the Red Knight and Shawn Michaels himself, of course. It's a 31 minute match. Now, during the match, Owen Hart is the only one to be eliminated. And eventually, with Shawn Michaels, all three of his knights having been eliminated, Shawn Michaels himself runs out of the ring, runs away and gets himself counted out when he is outnumbered. The Hart family have therefore won the match. But afterwards, Owen Hart comes out to confront his brother because he feels it was Brett who'd caused his elimination by being injured on the uh, on the apron. And uh, as Owen was running the ropes, they collided and it led to Owen being pinned by Shawn Michaels. So first of all, the Knights. We know who the Knights are, I assume. One of them is Greg Valentine. Yep. Someone's called, one called Jeff Gaylord. Yep. Um, yeah. And who's the other one? 
Uh, the other one Barry is Barry Horowitz. Yeah, Barry Horowitz. Ah, Surprised he didn't pat himself on the back during the match. That must be a, <laughs> a difficult thing to to not do because he did it quite a lot, didn't he? Like muscle memory, he probably just didn't. But that's fucking Barry Horowitz. Oh, I've got to lose more matches now. <laughs> um, and obviously the night concept doesn't make a whole lot of sense without Jerry Lawler, does it? <laughs> no. It should have been Shawn Michaels and his sexy boys. Yeah, but Greg, you had Greg Valentine but, and Barry Horowitz, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, what could they have been? The Heartbreakers. Shawn Michaels and oh, Heartbreakers. Yeah. Oh, and then they, like, and Shawn Michaels could have dressed up like Tom Petty. That'd have been amazing. <laughs> and he'd have been free falling all over the place. Oh. Or perhaps he dressed up as Mariah Carey. Oh, <laughs> that'd be amazing. So the match. Um, why don't we go with you, old man? First of all. Oh, this is crap. I did not. Oh, I'm sorry, Tommy. This is so boring. Is this is this revenge for Adam Bomb? No, <laughs> it is. I, Bruce and Keith. Keith in particular is so Keith Hart strikes me as an absolute arsehole. I have no basis for this. It's just his face. <laughs> He's just got a face that makes me think you're not very nice. Hang on, but hold on. Know, before you go any further, what, which one do you think is Keith? Uh, the blonde one. Ah, uh, that's Bruce. That's Bruce. Oh, I was going to say, I wondered, I wondered why yeah. he was going so hard on no, poor Keith. I, I'm exactly no, the same. No. I'm exactly yeah. the same. I thought it's got to yeah. be Bruce he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Um, so hang on, it was, it was the darkhead fireman, Keith. So Keith seems like a good lad. Seems like I bet he's a good dad and a good uncle. <laughs> so, good no, but he's a, but he's a cracking shack. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually just about to finish with a good lover as well. But... I thought Tom was going to say, and he's a crack dealer. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, no one would suspect him, would they? So very, very different takes from what each of us were going to yeah. say about this guy. But, yeah, so Keith and Bruce try their best, but they're not very good. They should be nowhere near a fucking pay-per-view match. And the same pay-per-view that's got Adam Bomb on, they're not fit to bloody... They're not fit to apply his glasses to his face. They're not fit to lace his moustache, are they, old man? <laughs> they're bloody not. <laughs> um, and the Knights, you've got Greg Valentine, who must be 19 at this point. Jeff Gaylord, no idea where he is. He's not very good. And Barry Horowitz isn't particularly good. So you've basically got the match being carried by three lads who can't all be in the ring at the same time. And they obviously try and keep Brett and Sean kind of apart for much of it. Well, the vast, vast majority of it. It's 31 minutes of many people. So there's five people in this match. I'm not interested in seeing. And there's a lot of them. I kind of like the fact that Bruce and Keith get their moment in the match. I enjoy that. Like, Fireman is in there for bloody ages. He gets a lovely little run out. They probably had to hose him down afterwards. <laughs> and obviously you get the story with Owen, which is fantastic because you know what's coming after that. But 31 minutes is so long. It's just not very good. So Ray Coombs on commentary. Love the fact that he clearly doesn't know any of the rules. I enjoy that. He pops big time when I think it's Jeff Gaylord gets eliminated because he thinks the match is over. And Bobby Heenan has to quickly cut in and go, no, no, it's elimination. There's elimination. He's like, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Love his energy. He's really, really like into it. Very into it. Yeah, I think if you compare his energy to, I think, I can't remember, Art Donovan, who is um, a oh. commentator on King of the Ring 94, and he's on it all the way through. He effectively just rips the shit out of it the entire way through, but also is an idiot, doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, you compare that, Ray Combs is bringing a positive energy here, and he's really yeah. trying. He doesn't know what he's talking about, but he's doing his best. I agree with you 100% old man about that. Good, good mm. work for Big Ray. Yeah, and then I thought, you know what? I wonder what that Ray's up to now. 
he uh, he killed himself two years later. Oh no! Yeah, he what? killed himself in oh no, sorry, ninety six it was. Yeah, killed himself. Had tons of debt by all accounts. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that's really sad because he seemed like a nice guy. He seemed like a very energetic chap. A bit like Les Dennis. It must have been like something that just ran in the family fortune slash family feud and then stopped with Vernon Kay, obviously. I feel like you've like ripped a piece of my childhood out of me because yeah. obviously this is a, a very familiar pay-per-view to me. Yeah, well, it's all right, mate, but I, could, I couldn't leave that out because if we're, if we're going to put him over, I want people to know that it was quite a sad end for old Raymond. Mm. But yeah, anyway, getting back to the match. Sorry, lads, didn't enjoy it. It bored me senseless. And then the finish is terrible because Shawn Michaels just runs off. It's like, well, come on. You can't make me sit here for 31 minutes and then give me that finish. Like I said, you then get the stuff with Owen. It's kind of worth it, but nah. So, Tom, give us the alternative take. So I did quite enjoy this match. One thing, get to see Bret Hart's legs. Don't see them very often, do you? And they are tanned. Very tanned, indeed. Mm. So much so that I almost had to spit my water out. I was shocked at how tanned his legs were. So I do enjoy this match. But again, it's the match that I would have watched loads when I was a kid because Bret Hart won. <laughs> so I would have watched it a lot. Um, you're right there about Bruce Hart. He is a cunt. And I remember it's him, apparently, that um, ruins the end of Canadian Stampede yeah. because it's him when it gets into the altercation with Austin that wasn't really supposed to happen and then subsequently mm-hmm. took away Owen Hart's moment. But I guess that could be revenge because apparently the idea for the brother versus brother storyline was pitched by Bruce Hart to be him versus Brett. Yes. And, what a different, and what a different match and storyline we would have had eh? <laughs> after all that. But what a prick. But you're right. Keith Hart, good guy. Good Tash. Um, hairy legs. You can tell he doesn't yes. wrestle very often. He's got quite hairy guys. Um, that, that was the legs of a firefighter. That's what that was. Not, yeah, not was a wrestler. Yeah. yeah, rugged, a real man who doesn't fucking shave his legs. <laughs> um, but I, see, I quite like it. I, I, love, I love it whenever the Hart family are at ringside and there's a good commentator on or a good heel commentator because mm-hmm. there's some great great stuff from Bobby Heenan, none of which I can actually remember at the moment, which is disappointing. But I know Tinky would have written something down, so that's all right then. He says <laughs> Tinky looks surprised now that he's not yeah, that's feels like, expected of him. <laughs> feels like there's pressure, although, and I don't have anything written down, but I do remember that there's one point where Bobby Heenan says, oh, look, that's really nice. Dude's got a picture of Helen on his, on his jacket. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bear. It's a Bruin from the Boston Bruins. <laughs> the fact that apparently he's been raiding the merch stand, he said, yeah. he comes down with the Boston Bruins. On, so he says, he's been raiding the merch store, which made me chuckle. Well, because um, in, the, in the promo, Stu was wearing a Detroit Pistons yeah, yeah. Jacket. jacket. Yeah. And they must have been like, fucking hell, Stu. Not only is he wearing a Detroit Pistons jacket, but Bret Hart's wearing a tremendous waistcoat as well. Yes. Whilst he's been interviewed in that, um, but yeah, I, I do, I did enjoy, I did enjoy this match. And I was always going to though, because it's just Bret and Owen. It's Bret and Owen on the same team, the the greatest tag team that never really was, which is an absolute tragedy in my eyes. And it, it's just a fun match, I, I, and it does good. It, it kind of, it really does do a lot to elevate Owen Hart. He gets quite a lot of time in the ring, um, gets the show off his skill set, gets two of the eliminations in the match as well and it just it does a good job at making him a bigger deal than he is Stuart bless him on the outside don't know what's going on 
don't know what's going on, but he takes a little bit of time to work out something in Keith's arm, which is quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> He's just outside the ring for about 10 minutes, giving him a little massage <laughs> on the arm, which is nice. But yeah, it's good. I haven't got much more to say than, than you did, old man, but I, I enjoy, I, well, apart from the fact that my my opinion of it is vastly different. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I just I just enjoy the match and, and I love it. I, I love the Hart family. God, Hart family. There's one of them in the crowd that looks a lot like Brett and nothing like him at the same time. It's very strange. Very, very <laughs> weird man. Um, he looks like the result of a weird Al Yankovic Bret Hart sexathon. He looks a little bit like a if Bret Hart was in a in a really crap mafia film and played a lower <laughs> ranking version of like the mafia guy. So he's like you know a foot soldier. That's what he looks like. He's got a little bit of like the Italian American about him. Very very odd. Very odd looking man. Um, <laughs> Go on, pick that apart. That's, that's tickled old man. That that's properly tickled. He's just no father. He's a very very odd looking man. Silence continues to say, "Oh, this is me then." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, what do I say about this? First of all, uh, oh, sorry, it's just occurred. To me, it's just occurred to me. Those tights that this, these onesies that Brett's wearing must be what he wears underneath his trunks. Remember, yeah, we were okay. discussing about yeah. this the other week. Yeah. It must be these. Sorry, just noticed it. Cool. Um, it's so worth interrupting you. <laughs> I agree with old man. I agree with old man. Honestly, this is this has not happened in all of the time I have watched. We've been doing this show. I got 15 minutes into this. I had to pause it and take a nap. I'm not even joking. <laughs> <laughs> I was legitimately like, what the f-? like? I've and you know, as we've said, I've watched this probably a hundred times. This was the first time I've ever been genuinely like, what the fuck is this match? It's just so shit. It's so boring. It's so boring. I couldn't. I just could not get over how boring it was. And um, your old man's right. Bruce, Keith, the um, Barry Horowitz, and probably Jeff Gaylord don't belong anywhere near a pay per view at this point. Nor does nor does Greg Valentine. It's just way 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 past his best. And also, you're right. They they are trying to prevent Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart being in the ring at the same time. So that's kind of you don't get much of that. Instead, Bret's got to wrestle four, three guys that shouldn't really be in the ring with him and so is Shawn Michaels because he has to fight Bruce and Keith Hart throughout it so yeah it's not a good match I I really did not like it and as I said I did actually have to take a nap halfway through only for 10 minutes literally 10 minutes I just needed to have a little break and just get a little bit of energy going there are some boring chants during the match and I said yeah it is boring I did forget well we all forgot to mention Shawn Michaels' incredible sell from Stu Hart's punch. Mm. It is fantastic. It is exactly what you want. He's all in. And Shawn Michaels and Brett, to be fair in this, especially considering what they're working with, they're great in this. This is where the appreciation for Brett in particular, I was like, fuck, man. Like you said, Tinky, these cunts, apart from Michael, shouldn't be anywhere near him like yeah. in this match. And he's, just, I think because... It's one of those where if they were all a bit crap, you'd get away with it. But because Michaels, Owen and Brett are so much better, it shows up just how poor they are, I think. Go on, Brett. Yeah, the, the other thing that's interesting about the show, is that we said it about as far as these 94 as well, is that there's no countdown. So again, I would have watched this with the countdown show, the half an hour countdown show mm. before the show on. And that's where you get some of the history. And on that countdown show, there is some footage. I guess the only footage of Shawn Michaels doing anything to further this this feud because literally he stepped in for Jerry Lawler like a week or two before the show um, is Shawn Michaels basically absolutely ripping Helen and Stu to pieces. Um, they're in the crowd and raw, I believe. And Shawn Michaels is just 
giving them a proper like just taking the mick out of them mm. something rotten but that is literally the only build that this match has as well so you've got that adding to it there's no build <laughs> it's actually jerry laura's feud that Shawn michaels is finishing off the knights don't make any sense because they're with Shawn michaels the knights are nobody interesting with the exception possibly at this time of greg valentine the other two no one in the wwf audience would even know if they saw barry horowitz they'd be like that's that guy who jobs out every week on superstars and wrestling challenge and what else and they don't reveal them either which is exactly what they said they would do which is they said oh, we'll reveal who they are mm. they should be getting three people in that people know surely to do this you know even if you're greg valentine terry funk you still got barry horowitz or, or jeff gaylord which no one you know mm. none of this crowd would have known no, they were so just a really bad concept for a match not well executed in my opinion um but having said all that the storyline obviously at the end is really cool and we know we knew anyway but we know having watched the shows that we've watched on the show that this goes to at least raw rumble 95 which is our very first episode because that feud is still ongoing at that point and old man just nearly fell over yeah, yeah. I, I, I did i was just stretching my legs out and uh i suddenly, suddenly lost balance did you did, did just talk about this match send you off to a little nap like think you did you just woke <laughs> up uh, i'll tell you what though it gives us no pleasure to bring that because poor old tommy was just staring into space just like oh so I think that's a good place for us to take a little break and come back refreshed for the rest of the show. Get yourself a little cup of tea, listen to whatever promo I put on between this and the beginning of the second part, and we'll see you on the other side. Thanksgiving Eve, 1993, live from the Boston Garden, an American tradition. I am standing in the middle of the foreign fanatics contingency, on this American Eve, Thanksgiving after all, the celebration yeah, of America yeah, and yeah, all the victories yeah. that we've had in this country. Yeah. And quite simply, your denigration policy across this country at this time specifically was not very well planned, Jim. Pettigill, first of all, you don't know the meaning of half of those words that you just spit out of your mouth. You were looking them up all night in Funkin' Wagnalls. Second of all, we haven't denigrated anybody. We're upholding a fine American tradition. Be winners at any cost, and that's exactly what we are. We're winners, and we do anything to win. And thirdly, there's a fine old American tradition, carving up a turkey on Thanksgiving Eve, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to carve up four of them. Now, everybody's been asking. Everybody's been wondering since this match was announced, what is your strategy? How are you going to fight the All-Americans? going to divide and conquer. You're going to mount a frontal assault, an all-out attack. Well, let me just say this. We've sat down and we've thought about this. The All-Americans, we look at them like one man. Because they fight together, they stand together, they think as one. They're a unit. So how do you take a man out? Well, you can go for the mind, you can go for the heart, or you can go for the soul. Now, the heart of the All-Americans is the Steiner brothers. they got a never-say-die attitude. They'll fight to the end. But you give a blow to the heart, it can be devastating. Now, the mind, the mind is the undertakers. Because after all, he's the master of fear, the master of psychology, the master of the psych-out. But if you take away a man's mind, he's confused, he's disoriented, and you can easily take him out. But then there's the soul, and the soul of the All-Americans is Lex Luger. Team Captain Lex he's Luger. The, shut up, Pettingill. He's the embodiment of the American dream, the spirit to succeed, victory against the odds. Lex Luger is the soul of the All-Americans. And when you capture a man's soul, then you've defeated him once and for all. And tonight, that's going to be our strategy. Mind, heart, and soul. The All-Americans are going down in the Boston Garden tonight. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, on Thanksgiving Eve, in the middle of the foreign contingency, coming up next, it's the clash 
of the superpowers. Let's get back to Vince and Bobby ringside. Welcome back to the show. Now, we've only gone through two matches so far of a five-match card, and we're an hour in, so we probably need to get a move on. Although I don't want to rush us, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. The first thing that happens following the the match we've just spoken about is that Todd Pettengill is in the aisle as he comments on what happens with Owen Hart and Bret Hart. And while this is going on, the radio WWF and and pay-per-view WWF commentators are swatch, swatch, switching over to um to Gorilla Monsoon and Jim Ross are coming over to pay-per-view commentary whilst Bobby Heenan and Vince McMahon are going on in the other direction. And whilst this is going on, a confrontation between Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon <laughs> brews up. And uh, it's all played for a little bit of fun. Although I think, if I'm honest, that this is also the story that eventually leads to Bobby Heenan leaving the WWF. I think the last thing you see is Gorilla Monsoon throwing Bobby Heenan yes. out of Raw mm. uh, towards it the end is. of the year. Then uh, WrestleMania 10 advert airs, where basically they're just announcing the date uh, and the fact that it's in Madison Square Garden. Then there's a video promoting the history between the All-Americans and the foreign fanatics. This shows Yokozuna and Ludwig Borger taking out Tatanka. Uh, it also shows Luger introducing... It shows Luger introducing The Undertaker as the replacement for Tatanka. Uh, it then shows Luger beating Pierre in a match where he knocks him out using his um, forearm thing. And that prompts the heels to replace Pierre of the Quebecers with Crush. There is an amazing bit, a couple of amazing bits in this. I love that Ludwig Borger hits uh, Tatanka with the chair and then very delicately puts it away again. Puts it, oh, it gets Jeff yes. Foster back, puts it behind another rail of chairs. Just puts it back. It's nice to know that he looks after it, you know, tidies up after himself. But the thing that I was gutted about, absolutely gutted about, is that on the countdown video, it shows a longer, extended version of this. Mm. And it shows when the Undertaker comes down and he says, The foreign fanatics will rest in peace and he opens up his jacket and he's got the weird american flag with the original 13 states on it and lex luger is looking a bit confused doesn't know what's going on turns around looks inside it yes does a little fist bump he's <laughs> yes. so happy about it and that's amazing and it's not on the wwe network and they really fucked me over with that it's really yeah. annoyed me but I, that is one of my highlights and i will always remember this and it will stick with me and i was gutted that i didn't get to see it i tell you what that's probably the best bit of work Lex Luger's ever done in his career because he acts entirely as if he doesn't know what's in the Undertaker's yeah. jacket. And then when he sees it, he goes, yeah, and he gets really excited. It's amazing. It's, no, it's not probably. It is. But, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> On top of that, we have one more thing before the next match, which is Jim Cornette coming to the ring and announcing the heavenly bodies who will be challenging the Rock and Roll Express for the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team titles. Tom, was this the match you weren't expecting, or is it the next one? Well, a thousand percent. I'd forgotten this match ever happened because I never watched it. So I was like, who the fuck are these idiots? And who are what is Smoking Mountain Wrestling? That was what it is. But my God, I don't, like, you carry on, mate. So we have a match here, which is 13 minutes in length and, and ends when we get new champions as Del, Jimmy Del Rey hits Gibson with a tennis racket from the top rope and Pritchard pins Gibson to win the match for the Heavenly Bodies. Jim Cornette, of course, is accompanying the Heavenly Bodies to the ring. And he's also, of course, the promoter and owner of Smoky Mountain Wrestling uh, when it was doing the rounds back in those days. So, yeah, Tom, why don't you give us your thoughts on this one? This match is great. I really, really, really enjoyed this match. I thought it was excellent. Like I said, a match I'd forgotten was on this card because I never watched it. 
Um, and like I said, the reasons for never watched, having never watched it are quite ignorant of me back in the day. But I was a kid and I didn't know who these fuckers were. So, yeah. So, but that being said, watching it now and especially having grown more of an appreciation for specifically the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express throughout do, through doing this podcast, I'm like, hello, here we go then. Oh, it's it's just this great tag team work from the from the Rock and Roll Express. Like it's so good the way they they dovetail each other's moves, the, the quickness in which they tag in and tag out. And this match isn't like a WWF tag match. It no. doesn't follow the format of basically the good guys dominating for the first minute of the match and then one of the baby faces getting worked over for the remaining match and then a hot tag and it all becoming a bit of a mess as a structure and as a really clean arc in this match in that basically the rock and roll express are a better tag team than the heavenly bodies but there's some great moves in there. there's a couple of lovely hurricane runners there's a couple of lovely power bombs in there um there's some lovely moonsaults and it's just a really really good match i want to give a shout out to the music, the Heavenly Bodies music, because I don't know why, but it always stuck with me. Even though I never really watched them, I can always remember that music. And it's got this really weird offbeat, like someone's hitting like a a tin or like a or like a like a like an empty beer keg or something like that. And it just goes on in the background and it's offbeat. And then all of a sudden, it's on beat. Oh, terrifying! <laughs> you know, being that guy in the studio it must have been, it must have been awful. Um, and but like they're great and and the 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 way the match ends with an immaculate toss of the tennis racket yeah. up mm. to um up to Gigolo Jimmy Delray I think it is isn't it on the top rope um and the catch and the the execution of it is is flawless it's it's a really good match there's some bits in it as well in terms of the commentary that I really liked for example when it cuts to uh, Vince and Bobby um, over on the commentary, you hear them talking about the over-the-top rope rule yeah. um, and explaining it to him. And then, obviously, Jim Ross then explains that to Gorilla Monsoon in the match as well. And that was just a really nice touch. And at one point, um, I think it's Tom Pritchard gets thrown over the top rope and, and uh, Ricky, Mor- uh, Ricky Morton, is that his name? I, I think yep. starts celebrating. And then they're like, no, 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 that wouldn't, that doesn't count. We're in, or even though it's for the smoking mountain belts, it's under WWF rules. It's just a really, a really good, technically good tag team match, completely different from anything else that you would see on WWF television at this time. And it's just, it's great. A really good match. My one gripe with the bit about the over-the-top fruit roll is that, and there's no way for them to do this, but it's just a little minor thing. The crowd weren't aware, obviously, that that was a rule. So they would have been, oh, that's that stupid cunt celebrating for. But it's all right, because the crowd... Philistines that they are don't give a shit. They do not care. And I was like, I mean, these guys will have had this match probably a thousand times, and it's just great. It's really good. Like, there's like the um the jump through the ropes. They do that in the in the opening seconds. No one's doing that in WWF at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think his Jimmy Del Rey does a springboard moonsault. Yep. For, uh, on the outside, onto the second rope, onto I think is Ricky Morton. Like no one's doing that, and it was just great stuff. It's just really enjoyable stuff. They do the bit with the um where they're rowing the boat. So the Rock and Roll Express do the bit where they're rowing the boat, where they've got um the heavenly body spread out and they're rowing. Each of them grabs a leg from one of the guys and they're rowing <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, it's <laughs> just really, really good stuff wasted on these cunts who evidently think they're at Survivor Series 2010 because they're 
they're not interested. I'm where the hard camera is. There's an entrance way where people are going in and out, where they're going for a piss or getting some food or whatever. And there's tons of people back and forth. And I was like, you're missing this when you know what's left to come. You silly cretins. Well, but I think match is great. Well, I think I've got to speak in defense of the crowd and and in defense of Tom, really, because Tom yeah. was one of those cretins that didn't really want to watch this. <laughs> and that's because and I think this really is different now. And different for the last 15, 20 years, because we've seen wrestling so available and you can see so much of it from anywhere in the world. Like right now, if I want to watch some um, Joshi wrestling from Japan, there are ways I can do that. No problem at all. It's really quite simple. Uh, and I can watch any anything really from anywhere in the world, no matter how big or small. Back then, I think this was effectively, in fairness, this is a WWE show. It's a WWE audience. They've been conditioned to watch wrestling in a specific way and enjoy specific things. And that specific thing is not the Heavenly Bodies versus the Rock and Roll Express. And this match would have fit like a glove on a WCW show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely perfectly. But it just doesn't, it's just different. And it just doesn't, in front of this crowd, they're not, don't forget also, this is an extremely traditional area of the country for the WWF. So it is yeah. extremely in in sort of ingrained in that WWE, WWF way of presenting pro wrestling. And, and this simply isn't it. But it is great. It is a really, really good match. And all kinds of stuff that you wouldn't see on a WWF show. I, I've, I've, no, I've liked this match for a very long time. It's just a shame that the crowd aren't into it. Because if they were, it would be an exceptional match. As it is, mm. it's just a very good one. Yeah, I, I thought it was uh, really nice. Some really decent stuff. It's interesting, obviously, at the time, WWF were engaged in some kind of talent trade deal with Smoky Mountain Wrestling, obviously Jim Cornette, um, Jim Cornette's promotion. And he was now working, you know, in terms of, I think even by this point, within the creative department, if you like, not that they had a department really, but the creative team that, that, that was put into together WWF shows. And in the meantime, was booking his own promotion. I think his, I think Smoky Mountain Wrestling were in a little bit of trouble financially, and I think they would continue to be for some time. But this talent trade agreement allowed them to get some bigger names on their shows and also meant that the WWF, roster didn't have to be very big because they could just draw in talent now and again from from smoking about wrestling and they had a similar deal with the uswa jerry lawless promotion too so it's just an interesting little facet of the business that actually if you imagine something like this now like yeah. <laughs> it feels a bit odd to, to imagine something like this now where not you might i mean they do have some deals with some kind of independent promotions but you never have them supply a match for a pay-per-view would you no <laughs> this day and age. is it interesting what you said about uswa as well because that's where old jeff gaylord is right so that's who that's who they get him from makes sense yeah so part of jerry lawler was on the card indeed yeah and as you as you say the, the tennis racket what a catch that oh, is I mean, we were yeah, talking about i was wonderful. talking about the other week about how you know hogan's fireball and if that was a ball you'd be a little bit worried that it wasn't going to work because it's out of your control once you're throwing something to someone else it's, it's not absolutely certain you'll you'll make it work well they made it work here and uh yeah very impressive so then we get a video playing of doink saying that his three partners are doink doink and doink whilst uh bigelow and luna are in the ring on an episode of raw that had taken place recently Todd Pettengill then interviews Bam Bam Bigelow backstage while the head shrinkers Bastion Burger, Afa and Luna Ugh. destroy a turkey in what is disgusting. Disgusting. Again, for some reason, this was the third bit that was cut from the VHS. This was not on the VHS, this particular I'm not surprised, mate. It's a fucking family show, and this is one of the most repulsive things I've ever seen. It is, it is, it is horrible. 
Oh. It is pretty disgusting. Like, and, and this is, I bear in mind, like, and, and I, I don't know if this makes a difference or not, but like, you guys, well, old man, you're a vegetarian, Tinky, you effectively are, aren't you? Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I love, I love a bit of chicken or a turkey, and I watch it and I'm going, this is revolting. This is mm. absolutely disgusting. And yeah, I'm not surprised they cut it from the video because it's rank. Well, there you go. Whilst that is rank. They are still eating the turkey as they come to the ring for their next match. So it's Bam Bam Bigelow, Bastion Booger, and the Head Shrinkers. And they're against four doinks. And we are now to be revealed who those doinks are. So the first two doinks are Luke and Butch from the Bushwhackers. Or Luke, <laughs> Doink, and Butch Doink, as Vince Man instantly decides that they're called. Yeah. The second two doinks are Mabel and Moe from Men on a Mission, or Men- Mabel Doink and Moe Doink. They and, Os- then- and Oscar Doink as well. That's right, Oscar Doink comes down with them as well. Apologies, forgot about him. They then have an 11-minute contest in which each member of the heel team is de- defeated by the babyface team. The last one being Bam Bam Bigelow. He's the last elimination. All four, do- all four doinks survive the match. In amongst all of that, there's a lot of very bizarre hate behavior going on just in general. Uh, I'm going to throw to you, old man, in terms of your opinions on the match and ask you to tell me this. Would you prefer to watch this again or Doink Dink Pink and Wink against Derry Lola Queasy Sleazy and Cheesy? Well, I'd take some time to consider that whilst I'm having a little talk over. So there are an incredible amount of unattractive people in this match. <laughs> like, I, I'm no oil painting, but Jesus, not pretty. Um, there's too much eating going on at ringside. Watching people eat in a disgusting way is, unless it's a small child, is something that really, really gets my goat. It really disgusts me. I, I don't know why, but it really makes me feel quite sick. And there's a lot of that going on. So then I'm like, oh, I'll concentrate on the in reaction. And the massacre that is the way that they're eating that turkey is almost as messy as the in-ring action, because this is absolute shit. What I do understand when they were doing this is you look at the guys who win the match, just go full comedy, comedy, and just get it over and done with in five or six minutes. Don't worry about it. But poor Bam Bam. I mean, who did he fuck off? <laughs> Every Everyone forever, I think. I mean, he's the only one worth a look in this. And... What I didn't understand, where's Doink? <laughs> Why is he not there? What are you talking about? There's four, four of them in the ring and another one at the ringside. But I, I didn't get it. I was like, I understand, like, maybe he was injured or something. At least turn up. At least be bothered to turn up with this team that you, team of shit that you were sent out. In response to your question, because of the lack of eating <laughs> in the Doink's and the Lawler match, I'd go for that every time. Listen, dog, then if um if the hearts and the knights was too long and because of that incredibly dull, this is just really bad. I don't want it, lads. I just to just to talk about where Doink is, I'm wondering whether or not that the reason Doink himself isn't in the match is because they did a switch over not long before the match uh. between the original Doink and the new Doink. Now I don't know for definite, but they, it was only a month or two before this pay-per-view that they did the switchover, and I'm wondering whether or not they hadn't fully settled on who would take over the role. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Just well, you reckon these are all auditions, then? <laughs> <laughs> Man of the Mission 
are over, or at least their entrances. Incredibly yeah, popular at the beginning. The forerunners, you could say, to our truth and his incredible <laughs> rapping entrance, you might add. But like old man said, this match isn't good. I mean, out of the out of the eight combatants in the ring, only two of them are worth anything. And that's obviously Bam Bam and Apush Fatu at this stage. Bastian Berger is the most unpleasant wrestler to ever look at. And I said, watching Dutch Mantel made me feel a bit, well, actually physically sick. But Bastian Burger is right up there with him because it he's just so, oh, I mean, bless him. Bless his little cottons. But, oh, God, like, there's this presentation. And I know he's, like, meant to have, like, fleas and stuff like that, but he looks like he's got fleas. And it's just, it's just fucking rank. It's just so unpleasant. And then you've got the fucking bushwhackers who, who are just a couple of like homeless people they find <laughs> and then you've got the head shrinkers and Afa, and they're like eating trying to eat bananas and and fucking this rank old horrible chicken on the side of the match and it's just so you tell people you watch wrestling and if they <laughs> happen to stumble across this they would think that you were demented because they'd be like what the fuck do you watch this shit and if i had to tell like Tell someone like, oh yeah, I'll do a wrestling podcast. Oh, what are you going to be talking about this week? I'll watch it. I'd be embarrassed. I'd be like, wait till next week. Wait till next week. We're not. We're not. I don't want you to see this one. It is so so crap. And there's like all the stupid hijinks with like the bloody head shrinkers trying to eat the balloons. So there's some awful scooting going on in the match. There's a bit where Mabel gets in the ring, and not Mabel Mo. Sorry, gets in the ring. Sir Mo, as he would later become. And tries to have a little scooter around the ring, and it's the worst use of a scooter I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he can't get it. He can't get. He may as well just be walk. He may as well have his legs either side of it and just be walking around the ring. Is how effective it is. It is bloody awful. Um, this match can fuck off, in my opinion. It's bloody awful, and it's not even like old man said. It's not even. But at this point, I think they're trying to be funny, old man. I think they're trying to lean into the humor of it, and they they just can't. This is supposed to be funny, no doubt about it. This is supposed to be funny. It's not, but it's supposed to be. I mean, the thing that you say about Bastian Burger, I mean, this is this is the thing that is. I remember when I read Wrestle Crap years and years and years ago, mm. um, and I think the I think the Im- intro or the forward of that that uh, book basically explains that, and it's and it's this is the thing. This is the stuff I like is that basically traces back why these things are bad to the central reason for wrestling to exist so basically all the wrestling all the wrestlers all the gimmicks everything is designed to build into something that will make money and the idea that anyone thought hang on we'll come up with a guy called bastion muga and he'll be able to make money in this incarnation it then it really illustrates just how fucking stupid it is that they would even think Mm. that this would be a good idea because Mm. because it's not even pleasant to look at so how no one's going to pay to watch this. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, Booger is, is ridiculous. Yeah, it's shit, isn't it? It's absolutely shit. Uh, properly terrible <laughs> stuff. I do feel for Big Low. I feel for everyone. There's, there's stuff that doesn't even make sense. That's the thing. It's not like just that it's not funny. But like there's the bit a couple of times where the head shrinkers, I think Fatu goes for a pin. And then as he's in the middle of the pin, sees a banana and gets confused yeah. by the banana. Like, yeah. what? What does that yeah. even? It's just bad in every way. It's just bad, uh, and I don't want to talk about it any longer. After that, <laughs> Doink appears on the screen, so Doink does arrive eventually, and he taunts Bigelow, laughing at both him and Luna as they 
are very angry. And I imagine they're not acting angry either. No. The contest. That bit goes on for so long. He's laughing forever. Apart from when you were running through the MVPs last week. I can't remember the last time I laughed at anything for that long. <laughs> like, just done happen. In fairness, that was only one week ago, so it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what wasn't shit, though, was what comes next. Because this is a promo that I oh. I, I reference oh, an awful yes. lot. An yes, awful yes, lot. yes. Todd, Todd Pettengill is with the entire Foreign Fanatics team. And Jim Cornette, well, he cuts one of the greatest promos in the history of promos, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Um, as he dissects the strategy that they will take against the All-Americans in the main event. And I've just titled the promo Mind, Heart and Soul. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah, it is fun. When you said, but not what comes next, I was like, is he going to go all in on the main event, balls deep? And then this promo is fucking unbelievable. Mm. I did not give two shits about this main event. He somehow made me care for a little bit. Admittedly, when they get in the ring, I kind of lose interest again. But I was like, it's exactly what you want. It's what you need. Someone walking in off the street. What's this main event about then? It's like, I just sit down there doing a the little build-up for now. They see that promo. They're like, lovely old job. I'm in. Jim Cornette might be quite unattractive to look at. And he's got an enormous ass. But my God, he can cut a promo. He certainly can. Do you remember when, uh, when he... Um... Was just rub- holding someone in the corner of the ring, and just rubbing his ass on them. <laughs> Can't remember yeah. what, what, what event that was. Um, yeah, King, King of the Ring '96, and he was doing it to Vader. It's magnificent, <laughs> magnificent. Have it, Vader. Have it, Leon. <laughs> um, I yeah, this promo is brilliant because he he does a great job at selling how good the p- opponents are and how to go about beating them. It's just magnificent. Well, well done, well done, Jim Cornette. You might have some horrible opinions, but you've got you can go ahead of a promo, my friend. I don't know how someone talks at the speed that he mm. talks at, doesn't miss a single word almost, like it's just is so articulate. Conveys a message, puts over the baby faces, puts over the heels, and provides a unique take on a match that is done four or five times a year, every year. Mm-hmm. It's just insane. I just I just think I, I've I will reference I reference this promo lots when I speak to people on podcasts, yeah, other podcasts and whatnot, because it is for me just a absolutely perfection. Like I just can't get over how good it is. It's not insider at all. It's entirely about who's going to win and who's going to lose. It's just it's magnificent. It's just great. Yeah. So then we get our main event. It is the All Americans, which is Lex Luger, the Steiner brothers, and the Undertaker against the Foreign Fanatics, which are Yokozuna, Crush, Ludwig Borger, and Quebecer Jacques Jacques Rougeau. It's a 28-minute match, and it ends when the last two people involved are Lex Luger and Ludwig Borger. Lex Luger hits his running forearm for the victory. Afterwards, briefly, Luger is joined in the ring by Santa Claus, Father Christmas, <laughs> and they celebrate <laughs> about a month before Christmas. Yeah. So, um, who, who's going first? Well, uh, to quote Dwakala, it started off bad, and then it dipped in the middle, and the less said about the end, the better. <laughs> I mean, this is not this is not very good. The peak, isn't it, of Lex Luger's push to for them try to effectively become the new Hulk Hogan. I hate to break his two boys, but it, <laughs> it wasn't gonna happen. It wasn't gonna happen, was it? I mean, it's shit. 
Rick Steiner still over. In yeah. a different, a different everywhere he goes, <laughs> mate. Everywhere he goes. Yeah. Still over. Different company, different time scale. Still massively over. Phenomenal stuff. I like the fact that Crusher's elimination comes as a result of Randy getting involved. You know, yeah. nice continuation of that story, leading hot to their white hot feud. And as I <laughs> said earlier, their clinic at WrestleMania 10. <laughs> but it's just not very good. Like, The Undertaker takes an age to get in. And then when he does, gets counted out pretty quickly. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't eliminate anyone and gets counted out with, with Yokozuna, obviously. And then that leaves these two absolute workhorses in <laughs> Ludwig Borger and Lex Luger to have a technical clinic at the end of the match and really get the crowd on side. Oh, God, that's, that's shit. It's shit. Lex Luger is shit. Ludwig Borger, shit as well. Now, I know he's no longer with us, Ludwig Borger, so, you know, don't want to speak too well of the dead. But he wasn't a very good wrestler. And Borla Kensi wasn't a very nice man either. So it's not very, not very good. You don't, you don't even get, this is Scott Steiner before he's, got a freak to the left a freak to the right in one box you haven't even got that going for him at the moment it's just it's not it's not very good and this is i mean you didn't like the third the second survivor series match but these last two survivor series matches really made me question why i love survivor series matches so much and i was like oh all right it's because sad it didn't it doesn't live up to the poster ultimately we start off pretty hot to be honest, because we've got the Mounties music playing. So I'm like, yeah, we fucking go then. Come on. And then Yokozuna's music starts. Oh, it's Crush. And so he comes down to Stone Cold Silence because they start Yokozuna's music, the little pipes, and then someone evidently goes, oh, fucking hell, wrong guy. So Crush just walks down to the <laughs> ring with his horrible mallet, flapping in the wind. Horrible. There's a guy in the crowd with a sign. Love it or leave it, you foreign freaks. With a lovely, (laughs) lovely couple of American flags on the little homemade sign, which is probably the size of A4 paper, I think. But, I mean, fair play, he gets his message across. And they got it on the old old TV. So it somewhat struck me when I was watching this. It kind of hit me in the promo video that they show earlier. Lex Luger's hair, and this will sound like I'm being stupid, I think his hair is a massive part of why he doesn't get over. Because you you can do nothing with that hair. He's one of those people that is just so unfortunate with his hair because you can't do anything with it. He looks like someone has tried to cut their own hair and then gone, fuck, now I'm going to have to get it cut shorter than I wanted to. It's just not a good hair haircut. He's also awful in the ring. And his finishing move, it never really dawned on me what. His finishing move is an illegal hit with his steel forearm. That's his finishing move. Mm-hmm. And that's the only move he has. He doesn't have any other moves. And I was like, wow, they really thought this guy. I was, well, I was thinking when I was watching it, because I knew this was obviously pretty much the end of his, uh, the genuine attempts to get him over. And I was just like, how did they think that this guy who can't do anything can get over? Very strange. They also, uh, obviously, Rick Steiner gets injured, so he's eliminated after a few minutes. I'm a bit disappointed, really, because I was looking forward to seeing a bit of Rick. Maybe he got injured when he was doing his little runaround in the ring. Tommy said about Ludwig Borger being shit. I was inclined to agree, but then Bobby Heenan said that this Borger 
is the wrestler of the 90s, to which Vince McMahon says he could be, evidently thinking in his head, he's like, not on this fucking show, and he ain't being being the head of my company. This is not good at all. Unfortunately, it's just crap. I wish I could say something else, but it's just not very good. The best part of the match is Undertaker and Yokozuna because they're hitting each other pretty hard and they're having a good time. And then they both get carried out at the same time. And then, obviously, like Tommy said, you're left with Ludwig and Lex, which might sound like a good porno, but it doesn't make a good wrestling match. Okay. I'm, I'm going to say something else and then it was crap because I actually quite enjoyed this. I did quite enjoy it. I didn't think it was the girl. I don't think it was a great match by any stretch of imagination. A clinic? But I thought it was decent. I thought it was decent. I enjoyed lots of this match. I enjoyed everything that Rick and Scott Steiner did. I always do. I've realised I really like Rick and Scott Steiner and the mm. stuff they do in the ring. I also love the fact that they're just over. Rick in particular is just over everywhere he goes. They just absolutely fucking love him for no other reason than he, than he woofs. Then that's it. That's yeah. the only reason to do it. No wonder he trusts anyone else who does it because it gets them over everywhere he goes. <laughs> I actually did like Borger. I thought he was pretty good in this. I thought he was quite interesting. Very stiff. Very, you know, some nasty shots he was giving to everybody. Did some interesting things. I, could, I, couldn't, dis- I couldn't find fault, really. Really, with with his performance in this match, I think this is the only match I've ever seen Ludwig Borger have. I don't think I've seen him in any other match ever. On this evidence, I would happily watch him again. I thought he was pretty decent. I think this is the only pay per view he's on. Yeah, I think it is. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. I, I was, on his Wikipedia page it says he injured his match, his ankle in a match with Rick Steiner, forcing yeah. the WWF to cancel plans for the Borger character that included a scheduled appearance at the 1994 Rumble and a proposed WrestleMania match against Earthquake. Oh, that would have oh. been a clinic. That would have been. Yeah. So there's a there's a at one point Scott Scott Steiner hits a double underhook powerbomb on Crush, showing yes. off his power early, early doors. There's a belly belly to belly suplex by Scott. I mean, basically, I really like Scott's in ring stuff. I really like Rick Steiner as a character. I just I really quite like Rick Rick and Scott Steiner, and I really like the stuff between Undertaker and Yokozuna. I think this really does go, though, to my nostalgia factor here, because this was kind of the first big feud that I can remember. I mean, The Undertaker was my favourite when I first started watching wrestling, and it's partially due to the Royal Rumble match that Undertaker and Yokozuna have, because I just was really, just really impressed by the idea that The Undertaker just was indestructible. And this match kind of does a lot for that that as well mm. like he gets in the ring yokozuna does a few of his big power moves undertaker gets up yokozuna's like oh my god i can't believe that they fall outside the ring yokozuna you know rams his head into the steel steps undertaker immediately like bolts up and undertaker's got the mm. wide eyes and vincent man makes the call yokozuna is terrified and that is yeah. on all the mm. stuff then that rolls into Rumble Night 4 and the countdown show for that show where they're doing the build-up to that match. And I like the fact that they... Because I was thinking about Ludwig Borg and I was like, well, obviously he's come in as another foil for Lex Luger whilst Luger doesn't go after the title but you know, between SummerSlam and WrestleMania 10. And so this is kind of like their pay-per-view showdown is the end of this of this match where they are the last two so even that i quite liked i mean don't get me wrong i didn't think lex luger was especially impressive during the match and there are others like crush you don't do an awful lot but i enjoyed it i enjoyed the match much more than i thought it would it was far better than the lex luger survivor series match we got a survivor series 94 
It's far better than the Undertaker-Yokozuna match that was at Survivor Series. Yes. I think it's better than the Hearts versus uh, Shawn Michaels and his Knights, to be honest. I think that pales in comparison to this. I thought this was much more interesting. As I said, I wouldn't put it on my list of recommended matches, but I thought this was good. It was good enough that I was like, you know what? I can live with that. I can live with that match. Yeah. That brings us to the end of the show what were our overall thoughts then our rating out of 10 our mvp our match of the night why don't we start with old man okay so my match of the night is going to be the opener it's called my boy adam bomb it's as the first match of the 94 survivor series this is what i want from a survivor series match and the scene for the survivor series match in 2010 as well this is the kind of action i want Enjoyed it immensely. Special mention for the old heavenly bods and the rock and roll expresses. Lovely stuff. Well done, Jimmy, Tom, Ricky, Robert, and even Jim, and the tennis racket, of course. I'm going to give this show a 5 out of 10. I think that's probably fair because I love the opener. Really enjoyed the tag match. The Hart Family match and the Bam Bam match are not good at all. The main event is a very small notch above that, but I would not watch those matches ever again. And if you meet me, I'll cry. In terms of an MVP, it's my boy, isn't it? It's got to be. It's Adam Bomb. Especially after the whipping that Tommy gave him. He was whipping him like a government mule. <laughs> Thomas. So, my overall score is a three. It's not very good. He has the nostalgia factor, but I'm watching it and I'm not thinking it's very good. Most of it's not very good. So that's what it's getting that, which is, I believe, I, how much, what did I give Spyro Series 94, Tinky? The, the same. Yeah, so I think it's it's about, do you know what, it's not as good as that, actually, but I don't think it's a two. I think a two's harsh. I'm going to my match of the night to the tag match, the Heavenly Bodies versus uh, the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express, which which expresses it. Don't matter, whatever Express it is, I'm on it. <laughs> it's the Rock so and Roll it, Express. It, it, yeah. It's the Daily Express. <laughs> okay, okay, the Daily Express. <laughs> um, and my MVP of the night goes to the man in the studio that was hitting that metallic object in the Heavenly Bodies theme song, whatever it be. <laughs> so whether it be a keg or a a bin, whatever it is, that guy, what a hero. The, the percussion from the theme tune. Yes, the percussionist, the percussionist yeah. Okay, so I am gonna. I think this is markedly better than Survivor Series '94, if I'm honest. I think the opener is a more realised version of what we get the year later. I think the the tag team match is a better match than anything on Survivor Series '94. I think the main event is far better than the two last matches from Survivor Series '94. I did not like the other two matches on this show. That's the Hearts match and the stupid doinks match but those three got me through and two of them the foot the opener and the tag match i thought were really quite decent contests and i give my my match and like just who i think the opener but only just i mean it's just very little in it between the two my mvp has got if there's only one choice i could possibly make and that is simply because honestly i think it is one of the best promos of all time jim Cornette. that promo is just mm-hmm. absolutely phenomenal and my rating out of 10 is six i'm gonna give it a six i think mm. this is a really a, a, an average pretty decent show no, nothing i don't you know there's some there's some drops but there's some decent stuff in there main event is perfectly passable as far as i'm concerned and yeah I, i'm i'm not too down on this it's, it's not a great show by any means but it's not a bad show either it's 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 serviceable 
sometimes that's all you can ask and to be honest we're on a bit of a we've been on a bit of a bad run of of shows um in terms of <laughs> certainly the survivor series my goodness last week we had one of the worst we have we have had the worst show we've ever watched yeah. so this was always going to be a step up but there we go what's interesting is that if uh, you boys hadn't murdered adam bomb <laughs> straight out of the fucking gates jim Cornette's tennis racket would have got mvp <laughs> <laughs> so you boys you boys consider that yeah you sit on that you meditate on that I do, I do want to say that I, I didn't say anything about Adam Bomb, uh, other than that he dis, does bring the, the pace down a little bit. And you, but you also didn't disagree with what I said, Tinky. So. Well, not, maybe not explicitly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't backtrack now, Tinky. Okay, so we have just the game to go today. Yeah, fucking go, then. And uh, I am still in the process of writing up the answers because there's lots of them, and I could only find one source, and it was a picture so you're gonna have to. God. So you're gonna. So I'll I'll tell you what it is, and then give you a minute or so to to collect your thoughts while I type up the rest of these answers. So I've got something to refer to on the screen. Bloody heck! It's a tough one. I think it will favour old man somewhat. Oh. So, and as I said, there are lots of answers to this. Probably in the region of a hundred answers, give or take. And the question is, I need you to name for me people who have been released by WWE. In 2020 or 2021? Oh, God. So obviously this week there was another batch of them. This week as we're recording this, there was another batch of them. So I thought, you know, it's timely. It makes sense to do it now. So I'm just going to write them up. And uh, yeah, you um, you have a little think. Uh, does this include people who have left? Includes people who've left as well. Yes, I should say that. It does include people who've left. There may be some. This is just a picture, so I can't be absolutely certain it covers everyone. But it's pretty. It's a pretty big list, so I can't imagine there being too many others that are not on it. Are we right. talking wrestlers and on our personalities? Yes. Oh, beautiful. I, I I'll tell you this now. I am halfway through the list, and I have fifty names. Oh, fuck me. Why am I drawing a complete blank? Yeah, I'm really struggling. Yeah. It'd be amazing if Tinky's done all this typing and then one of us shits out on the first count. Yeah, Seth Rollins. No. Oh, all right then. (laughs) Right, I have got them all. There are a massive 124 talents that WWE released over the last two years, which just shows you the extent of the Mm. releases. Mm. absolutely loads of them i'm gonna i'm gonna just order them enough so this is people released and who've left and who've left i mean as i said it it was a picture so i can't be absolutely certain that they've they've been completely correct but there are a lot of names so cool if we come across one that's not on the list that you're absolutely adamant was one of them um we can of course discuss it and also um, i'm gonna I'm going to give you three lives as well. Ooh. Don't need three lives, mate. <laughs> no, okay. no, don't even know if I've got three fucking people. Tom, you go first. <laughs> um, Keith Lee. Keith Lee. Yes, that's correct. He's on the list. Carrion Cross. Carrion Cross is on the list. He was the, what, the, the guy who was the champion they've just brought up to the main roster yeah. and put him in an S&M suit. That's the one. Yeah. Uh, uh, Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson, correct. Tom Phillips. He's not on the list, but I don't know when he was released. No, but he, he it was it was just after Mania, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Was it, was it just after Mania? Was it with those those yeah. those lads? Yeah. 
Okay, well, I accept that. That's fine. Um, Miro. Correct. Uh, Scarlet Bordeaux. Scarlet Bordeaux, correct. Who the fuck is that? Uh, it was Carrion Cross's valet when he was in NXT. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, Ruby Soho. Correct. Someone's uh, dipping into the AEW. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> all I got, mate. Uh, Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe, correct. Obviously rehired. Mm, senior Joe. Uh, Andrade. Correct. Uh, Zelina Vega. Zelina Vega is correct. Uh, Malachi Black. Yes, Alistair Black is on the list. Braun Strowman. Yes, that's correct too. Um, sorry, I've got a long list and I have to keep scrolling up and down. <laughs> yes. Um, Adam Cole, baby. Correct. Adam Cole, baby, is on the list. Braymond Wyatt. Yes, Braymond Wyatt is there. Well, Bray Wyatt is there, obviously. Not, not, not Braymond. Uh, Mark Henry. Mark Henry, correct. Mark Henry. <laughs> uh, Billy the Fish. Ah. <laughs> yes, Billy the Fish is correct. Uh, Paul Wiggett. Yep. It's the trouble, see? Time's just merged, hasn't it? So. Yeah. Christian. Correct. Most a lot of these ones you're getting are the ones who were, who chose to leave. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, I can't remember their names, so I may as well just give this answer now as a back to back, and then go again because I'm I'm effectively picking two people here. But FTR. Okay. Yes. Um, who do I who do I knock off? You can't you can't reserve answers, Tom. That's not. Well, no, no. I'm just no. I'm just saying. Well, because I can't remember. The, it's Dax and someone, isn't it? Dax okay, Hardwood and. And the other one. <laughs> yeah, that'll do. That's fine. Well, well, we'll take that. I'll take it. I'll tell you what. I'll call it Dash Wilder. You got Dash Wilder. Yeah. Uh, Dax Harwood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'll give you Scott Dawson for that one. Um, Kalisto is correct. He was on AEW the other week. Was he? Yeah. Team uh, up with some other cunt. Mike Kyoda. Oh, you fuck! You fucking fuck! That was my, <laughs> that was my, that was my ace in the hole. This big Mike with his elbow pad. Ask him, Mike. I was gonna say. I, I gotta be honest. I didn't know he'd been released, but I am, yeah. I am disgusted by that. I am absolutely yeah. disgusted by that. Apparently, it, he got the generic phone call as well. Oh, yeah. what? what? Sorry, you, you 30, thought thirty-two years, I think it was. You'd have thought after all that service, Vince himself mm. would have given him a call. Yeah. So let, I'm really sorry, but Awful, this is happening. Um, I think this is in the latest batch. N- Nia Jax. Nia Jax, correct. Oh, a great uh, Luke Harper. Oh, correct. Yes, he's on, he's on my correct. he's on my maybe list. Um, is mm, Renee Young? No, I don't have her on the list. Let's have a look. We can have a look. Uh, ba, ba, ba. Yeah, 2020, she left. Cool, well done. Uh, ba, ba, bum. Mia Yim. Correct, Mia Yim is there. Don't even know who that is. 
I, that's what I was going to say. I saw the fa- the panic in your face when you were like, who the fuck is that? And then all I could think of, of was panic in Detroit. That was it. That's what I just <laughs> oh. it in my right. I, I'm through my list now. So all of these are the guesses now. Um, Puck? No, I think so. I think that's Puck? Hey. I think yeah, he you can check if you want. He's not on the list. But no, I think he may have gone before. Yeah, yeah I think so the too. Bastard. Tom, you're one life down. I think from his role as a producer, Billy Kidman went in the first COVID. Well, release. I don't have him on this list, but again, I'm happy for that to be filled in. I mean, you'd have thought a list of 125 people would be enough, but apparently... <laughs> Let me have a look. I don't want to mug Tommy off. I don't want to mug the listener off either. Oh, it, oh hang on. <laughs> mm, so, he was furloughed. But he's still with the company. Yeah. Presumably. So, I can't accept that, I'm afraid. That's absolutely fine. Bloody um, furloughed scheme. Helping people. <laughs> what about Heath Slater? Heath Slater, I'm pretty certain, is in the list. I did see him earlier on. Yes, he's on the list. Right. Okay. Mm. Looks a lot like Che Guevara. Rick <laughs> <laughs> uh, Flair. Oh, good shout. Good shout. He's not on my list, but he definitely left, so I'm, I'm chucking yes. him in. Yes. Um. Ooh. Zack Ryder. He's coming back oh, with the uh, with that some nice names. That is on there. Uh, Mojo Rawley. Mojo Rawley is indeed on there. Um, Fandango. Da, 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 da. <laughs> uh, yes, Fandango's on there. Uh, Tyler Breeze. Fuck. <laughs> He's just sweeping up all the tag team yeah. partners like a like a little prick. <laughs> Kenta. So I don't think he's not on my list. He's not on my list. What was his name again? His real uh, Hideo Itami. That's it. That's what I'll have it have him under if he's on here. No. Uh, no, twenty nineteen unfortunately, Tommy. Mm-hmm. Uh Billy Kay. Billy Kay, correct. Oh, the other Iconics one. <laughs> um, are you happy for me to give him that, old man? Yeah, that's fine. That's Peyton Royce. So I'm going to go... Ooh. Chavo. Boom, boom, boom. Bo Dallas. Is correct. Yes. Basically... If you can just think back to all of the um, jobbers of the last five yeah. years, you'd be all right. <laughs> I I don't know if I got any more. Um, he'd have gone. He'd have gone before then. <sighs> yeah, fuck um, I don't think he's. I don't think he's on there. But I'm gonna go with Eric Rowan. Eric Rowan is correct. Yes. Oh, oh, released, picked up. And now Sazzy passed away, all within the last two years. Uh, he did as well. Penny. Oh, no. Oh, no. I was getting them confused. I meant to say Eric Rowan. Uh, I said Luke Harper. Well, Luke Harper so, yeah. as well. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Kurt Hennig. 
No, not Kurt Hennig. Um, Curtis Axel. Curtis Axel's correct. David Otunga. So he's not on my list. Let's have a little look. I think, astonishingly, he's still with the company. <laughs> I don't quite know what he does, but... Just hangs around. I think he's yeah. still pre- still pretending to be married to that famous person. <laughs> yeah, he's still there. So I'm done. I'm out, I think. You are out. That was your last life. Oh. That's good, because I don't think I've got anyone else. My last one, my question mark, was Lars Sullivan. Lars Sullivan? I think they quietly released him, but I can't remember when. He's on the list. Lars <laughs> Sullivan is on the list. So there, so are you done? Are we done? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, man, you got 20, and Tom, you got 18. So you actually managed 38 of the list, which is good going, because there probably there aren't that many people that I know that are left. So mm. I'll give you the ones that you might know. I won't read out the full list. Aiden English. Mm. Uh, Akam and Rezar of Authors of Pain. Oh, yeah. Um, we have got, who else have we got here? Uh, Bronson oh. Reed. Yeah. We've got Buddy Murphy. Uh, yeah. We've got Cain Velasquez. Oh, yeah. Didn't know oh, he was he, working for them. He, he was signed for one of the Crown Jewels, wasn't he? And then, got, yeah. then it didn't end up happening. No, it uh, did. He got he got buried in about four minutes by Lesnar. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, Chelsea Green, Kurt oh, Hawkins, uh, Ember Moon, uh, Epico and Primo. Uh, Eric Again. Young, <laughs> Ethan Carter III, Eva Marie again, yeah. Frankie Monet, Gerald Briscoe. Yes. Mm. Crazy stuff. Grand Metallic. Um, a man, oh, I'm pretty, the next one, I'm pretty sure only got hired a couple of months ago and has now been released. Harry Smith, David Boy Smith. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was brought back for like when the when the live crowd were back. I think he had like one match, did it all, did an interview, an awful gold baseball cap, and then got released again. Yes, he did. Yeah. Uh, who else we got? Kyrie Sane, but she left. She chose to leave. Yeah. Carl Anderson and uh, Luke Gallows, of course. Oh, forgot about them. Cassius Ono or Chris Hero. Killian Dane. Kurt Angle. Yeah. Uh, Lana. Yeah, I've got Lana. Um, who else we got here? Um, Maria Canellis and Mike Bennett, Mickey James. Uh, I'll save one for later. Um, no way, Jose. <laughs> no way, Jose. Only Lorcan. Gone. Yeah. Uh, Samir and Sunil Singh. Serena Deeb is now in AEW. Ty Conti now in AEW. That's what I was thinking of was Ty Conti. Tony Nice, who's now in AEW, I believe. Uh, yeah. Velveteen Dream, Wesley Blake, and the one I was saving for later, absolute disgusting, Mike Rotundo. Oh. Oh, dear. That's a sour note to end it on, mate. Certainly is. I, I apologise, but, you know, I, I like to... I like He's... everyone to at least be feeling something, <laughs> and even if it is negative. <laughs> it's um, It's quite sad, isn't it? It's mad how many people, especially the ones where they've been hired yeah. within the same period. And then, like, it's like, have you, why did you bring them back in the first place? 
because i imagine yeah. also if you're not a if you're not a wwe wrestler then unless you're in aw you probably aren't you're struggling probably to make a full-time living you might make a full-time living but it won't be mm. a particularly lucrative one many of them will have other things that they do to make money and so it's quite a I imagine it's quite an upheaval when you join wwe to then be exclusively working for them and mm. sort of throwing your lot in in terms of this is everything that i now have which is making money from this and then you're released i just find that yeah rough really rough well i noticed um i was reading about this and like everyone especially the nxt people or people who come to nxt they're always so quick to say good things about triple h and Shawn michaels no one ever says anything nice about vince you you get the odd one like Mm. obviously daniel bryan did but he had a bloody lovely old time of it there but yeah i just think they just spit them out didn't they it's pretty pretty unsavory isn't it yeah I think also the numbers that we're talking about here, this is a consequence, not so much of their release policy, but their their recruitment policy from three or four Mm -hmm. years ago, because to be honest, they were absolutely stockpiling talent in the the company. Um, So I think partially it is down to actually the number of people they were handed contracts to in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I think that, as I said, I think that it's probably enough of an upheaval and a, and a, a, the commitment to go and work for WWE because you're not allowed to make money effectively from anywhere no. else, really. That you know, going there is the big problem. I think if you never end up going there, that's less of a problem than going there and then getting released in some ways. So, mm. um, yeah, uh, a bit of a, a bit bit crazy. But anyway, that's that's the situation. Um, and on that uh, lovely lovely happy note that we've got there, um, we will say goodbye, old man. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, thank you very much, lads. It's been a pleasure to finish off the uh, Survivor Series trilogy. I'm on a sombre note, but don't worry about that. Just remember, Ken Patera. And Tom, thank you for your contributions also. Uh, thank you. Uh, it was my pleasure. Well, it was my pleasure to talk to you boys, but I don't think I'm going to be returning to any of these shows anytime soon. <laughs> and it has made me question why I love the Survivor Series so much. So it's given me a little bit of an existential crisis coming out of this one. <laughs> but I hope I hope it was worth it. If you can hold on for a year, we might revisit some other Survivor Series shows to to reinvigorate your passion for the annual Thanksgiving Day tradition. Please, any, anything from '87 to '90, please. this has been the random wrestling review we'll be back again next week but until then take care